Welcome everybody to the Open Suspect podcast. I am Nice Micro and here with me are Best One Crazy and Cockmacarb. Hello. Hello. So we are going to be talking about the game development and other things. So recently we have merged a very big pull request into the main code base. Have you guys seen what's, what was going on there? That was number 300, right? Yes, it was number 300, the Spartan. It looks like a whole bunch of task stuff for making tasks easier to build, it seems like. Yeah, it was basically, yeah, it was kind of the plumbing for a task system. So all the common things that tasks should be doing are kind of provided. So yeah, new tasks don't have to add everything, but we will have kind of a common basis for how the tasks are synchronized and things like that. It was a very, very long, <laughs> long process to get through it, but it's, it's a good, good, good work by the second real zero. Yeah. So, I mean, what have you been thinking about what you guys want to contribute next? I've been thinking about possibly like putting in the actual rooms rather than the placeholders although someone else might get to that before me because i've been very busy lately yeah that is uh, something that should we should be doing because so moxvalix did some very nice designs for the rooms so it would be nice if we could actually showcase them alongside the other kind of game content yeah and so there was some kind of discussion about uh, maps, how to make maps for the game. And I think like currently we just... Including which file for map. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so basically because currently we just have like a really just a placeholder test map, but we will have to be like, if this game is to be play well playable, we will have to have more maps, like as many as possible. So... Yeah, currently I don't think like, because Godot has a quite nice capability to just build the maps directly in Godot. So I think that's kind of, kind of would make it redundant for us to make like a, spe uh, like a very open suspect specific map format, but like uh, having some kind of standards how to make the maps for the game would not be, not be, not be bad, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, I think the most elegant way of doing it is a some sort of compressed archive filled with Godot scene files. Yeah, that that kind of makes sense. So of course, like the the official maps will be just built in simply. Yeah. But having like a system to load some kind of um, what else it called like uh, like external sources for for all the assets that are needed. I think like the most complicated thing about that is if someone wants to use like uh, sprites from built-in maps. Yeah. Uh, that would be, I think, kind of complicated. But I have no experience with that, so... Maybe if we had like a specific, like a keyword for the internal sprites, then we could like replace it somehow? Yeah, or maybe just the map will have to contain everything all the time. <laughs> I guess we could do that, but it would be a bit redundant. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, redundancy is is not the worst thing that can happen. <laughs> so maybe coming up with a non-redundant way, that can be just so difficult to debug that. So, here's possibly a less redundant way of the separate the characters 
and the map. The characters are already separated, actually. Good. Yeah, but uh, what I mean is like maybe you know, like some kind of like the coffee table. You want to use the same type of coffee table on the on the external map or something like that. Next, I'll be trying to make a desktop environment thing for. Oh, based on Open Suspect. I think it might be a good now based on material. Oh. And what desktop environment are you gonna do it for? First, GNOME. Ah, uh, okay. That one, I think, like, GNOME themes can be used for, like, many desktop environments, like they Budgie can? and Cinnamon, oh. I guess. because they're related. Just as long as it's based off GNOME, it can use GNOME themes. Yeah, yeah. And that includes Cinnamon. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, makes sense. So I think, like, it's because it's based on, like, the GTK framework. Like, all the desktop environments that use GTK will be able to more or less use the themes. Orange MN6 made one for some window manager a few months ago. I don't remember which window manager it was. Isn't he, like, an i3 user? He switches a lot, I think. So I don't (laughs) know. I think I could find it. Oh, here it is. Found it on the wallpaper. I mean, the... (laughs) <laughs> Not the wallpaper, the subreddit. Oh, yeah. The, I haven't seen our subreddit for quite a while. I should be checking on it. Oh, the room drafts got posted. I should give be giving them the up up updates. Oh, uh, yes. Of I course. Guess. I think I already up- upvoted them. Oh, yeah. So if you're listening and you want to see them, go on the subreddit. It's the top post. Yeah, r slash open suspect. And leave a comment there, which there are zero comments, so I should... I should leave one. Some encouragement to our contributors. Yeah, so once we have a few more rooms than like the room design, then at least we will have, I think, like a more um, mature, m- matured uh, like design. Then like based on that, making like a full desktop theme would be possible. Like some kind of the colors and uh, some objects that are. It'd be cool if we could have a dynamic wallpaper where like the little people walk around the lab. And yeah, that's also a nice idea. We should definitely do that for the background of the like the menus at the beginning of the game. Oh yeah, yeah, just random random characters yeah. walking around in in one or two of the rooms. Yeah, that's 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 a nice idea. And we'll give some some additional character to the game. I don't don't know what's the trend in the modern game design for main menus. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, no, not ever, but not, haven't played any new games recently, which means like in the last eight years. Oh wow, that's a long time. Yeah, the last time I played a relatively new game was when Deus Ex Human Revolution came out. The only two menu screens I can think of right now are the Minecraft menu screen and the Among Us menu screen. And how, how do they look like? The Minecraft screen is the Minecraft logo and some buttons and then the background is like a 360 degree image from the game that slowly rotates. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And the Among Us one is space with like little crewmates floating around. Oh, yeah. Because like the game I played most in my life is StarCraft, the original StarCraft. And like the original StarCraft menu is just some kind of dynamic images of space overlaid with icons and text. So it itself has nothing to do with how the game looks. It just gives you some kind of idea that, okay, so this is a game about space. (laughs) 
But well, that game came out in what, 1998? A long time ago. Yeah, and like, it's still red hot. I mean, well, not all over the world, but just a few years back, I was at a StarCraft tournament and at the finals, there were at least like four or five hundred people watching live at wow. like an outside stadium. But that's, that's Korea for you. Is this... Hang on. I think... I think... I don't know. I have to look this up. But I think it might have been on Ars Technica War Stories. That might have been some other game, though. Never mind. Different game. And so there was, like, even a StarCraft League last year, but it was offline. Or, or I mean, like, fully online. So there was no, like, uh, audience present. But... Wow. Yeah. They... They made like a super cut at the, after the finals from the previous years. And there is one like few seconds where you can see me there. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty impressive that the game has managed to still be played for so long. Hello. I got backstabbed by my computer. Uh, hate it when that happens. Um, hello. Oh. Hello again. <laughs> You're back? Yeah, all the electronic equipment around me seems to be malfunction malfunctioning recently. Oh. <laughs> Am I secretly an electric eel frying all the electronics around me? Maybe. Maybe somebody set off an EMP nearby. Yeah. Well, the only thing... Oh, you're in a giant Faraday cage. Yeah, I should build a Faraday cage around my, my, my apartment. The only thing it's unaffected is my phone. <laughs> That's a good idea. Which is... Which is which is very suspicious. Maybe I am under surveillance. Well, if you did build a Faraday cage around your house, then at least the 5G wouldn't be able to control your mind. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense. That's funny. Hopefully we can make Open Suspect as a notorious game as StarCraft, so it will be played by our children and their children too. Yes, absolutely. What really amazes me is that Blizzard is still, like, milking StarCraft dry for, for cash. Yeah, that's... I mean, companies always milk. <laughs> I mean, look at Disney and Mickey Mouse. Mickey's never going into the public domain. Oh. Never. Maybe, yeah. maybe this time, maybe this time he will. <laughs> he, he's supposed to expire in 2024, we'll see. Otherwise, if Disney keeps lobbying... Yeah, but only the version that was created then. That's true, but... That does mean that the character itself will also... It'll be like Sherlock Holmes, which is in a weird situation because some of the books are in the public domain and some of them are not. Yeah. Yes, because, again, Mickey Mouse will not be... Uh, even if Steamboat is in the public domain, Mickey Mouse is still a trademark, in which if Disney... Disney can always redo a trademark. Yeah, so uh. we cannot call it Mickey Mouse if we copy it. Yeah, it'll be weird. A very odd situation. Yeah, I'm just really like... StarCraft is like... I haven't installed it for like two years now, but last time you have to, you know, like download the Blizzard installer and the Blizzard installer will download everything. Like, I don't know, like eight gigabytes 
to your computer, but if you just play the free version, you cannot use the high definition assets, but you still have to download them. And the same with some like theme packs, like the cartoon theme pack and stuff like that. So it downloads to your computer even if you don't want them, but you don't you're not allowed to use them if you don't pay up. Does it run on Linux? I don't think so. Uh. Maybe, maybe uh, like you can. I think, I think Lutris. Maybe you can use Lutris. Lutris seems to be. Yeah, it seems to be available through Lutris. Huh. But I never, never came to install it after I switched to Linux. Hmm. Yeah, people say that only the map editor is glitchy, everything else works fine. Okay, so if you're not going to be making maps... Yeah, and if you don't mind, I don't know how many gigabytes of proprietary software downloaded that you can only use if you pay. Ugh. <laughs> then you could try it. I mean, it's from 1998. Blizzard could have easily just said, all right, let's just publish it under GPL and let the public figure out because like they are maintaining this i i don't i'm not familiar with the current situation of course but like there was it, like, the the battle net so the the matchmaking part was so freaking sluggish <laughs> so you would think that if they like keep a game from 23 years ago alive and they still charge you for it then at least they keep the ui like work well on modern hardware i don't know even Microsoft open source DOS. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't need that anymore. They could just use N N T. Yeah. And since the first game is still doing well, and Microsoft just wanted to swing DOS. So, but here's the thing: the game they make it's still popular. Does they want to keep it under the control for longer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, like in Eastern Europe, pirating games was like really what everyone was doing. So <laughs> in the 90s and early 2000s, people would look strange if they if you told them that you bought like a game on CD. I brought StarCraft on, on CD because I really liked it, but it was years after, like almost, maybe it was like even like 10 years after the release, so it was like really cheap, but even then people were like, well, why do you buy it when you can just... I don't know if Torrent was... I don't think Torrent, BitTorrent at that time was like a big thing, but there were other ways, of course. Yeah. And, and like, no one cared. I literally, the only people I know during that time who got like uh, any kind of fine for copyright infringement on software were a few computer shops that like literally charged you to copy CDs. <laughs> that, yeah, that makes sense for them to get in trouble. But even those, like I knew one that was operating like for three or four years before anyone like actually cared to do anything about it. Wow. And just people would just, because when I was like in the nineties, like copyright was so not like cared for at all that I remember with my parents going to some music festival. And at that time, like it was in the middle of nineties and that time people didn't really have like the CD drive. So we had like this cassette tapes. And so people were selling the cassette tapes. And I remember like a few of my parents and like their friends, they were like discussing, okay, I buy this cassette, you buy that cassette. And then we go home and then copy it for each other. And just this was how things were being done then. That's wow. 
So I guess like people were just like thought that they can do the same indefinitely with like music CDs and then software CDs. But I guess the authorities or or at least like the legal representation for the copyright holders started to figure out that like this is something that they they can make some money on. So then they started to crack down on those who were like doing it out in the open in a public store yeah that's pretty crazy that they managed to last that long selling pirated games at the at the store yeah <laughs> well they were sooner later we have more advanced drms oh that's also true yeah yeah but then like you know because basically like before 1990 so before before like the collapse of the eastern bloc like the eastern european system worked something along the lines that if you copy western media no one will be able to persecute you wow and like there were computer magazines well it was before i was like born but in the 80s i read about like there were computer magazines that would just literally just give out pirated copies of like american or just western software in general oh my god (laughs) and then when like people started just photocopying the magazine at some places and spread that they were really upset like how dare you photocopy our magazine (laughs) (laughs) the ultimate sense of irony yes (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so when first, like, uh, in the early 2000s, the cinemas started to play those warnings and, like, those kind of, uh, the advertisements, like, you wouldn't steal a bag, you wouldn't steal a car, so don't steal a movie. Piracy is not a victimless crime. You wouldn't download the car. Yeah, so when those came in, like, people were, like, really... Really, it, it was really not in, like, in our, in our minds that we should care about these things. It's like, yeah, but I cannot. If I could copy a car, I would copy a car. That was basically everyone's. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's attitude. Yeah, copyrights. Yeah, I just. <laughs> copyrights a bit yeah, copyrights, extreme. Yeah, it's a weird, weird concept with a lot of arbitrary restrictions. Yeah, I get why you would want some protection, but like a hundred years after the author's death is a really long time, or maybe it's 70, I don't know, it's still a long time. Yeah, and like the exceptions for corporations is just... Yeah, every time... Blows one's mind. Every time the copyright's about to expire on Mickey Mouse, Disney just goes and lobbies for a longer copyright period, and they get it. Yeah, and like in general, because the copyright is owned by a company, Lobbying is only good when there's businesses doing both sides. However, companies only doing one side. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, because what I read is like the copy. The ultimate goal of the copyright law, in originally, was that even if you are like a small guy and you make some original work, the big, big companies cannot steal it so if you write a novel by yourself and you are just like a regular guy you don't have the means to to like publish and distribute it and if someone could just you know get your work and uh, copy it and publish it without your permission then you as a small author would not have a chance to ever make any money on your creative endeavors. So it, it seems to me that first it was like to restrict the big guys but the big guys soon figured out how to turn the the tides to their own advantage yeah and 
it, I guess it also makes sense to keep like the big guys from copying from each other, but it's just too much. And very complicated. So you, as a regular person, has a very hard hard time understanding it. So it's very easy to infringe on someone's copyright just because you don't understand the rules properly. Yeah, and fair use is like. <sighs> It's very, it's so subjective that something may or may not be fair use and you wouldn't really know it because you might think it's fair use and someone else might think it isn't. That's why we have creative commons now. Yeah. Yeah, these licenses are good, but... Yeah, as good as you can enforce them. <laughs> yeah, it's complicated. And I mean, like, if you are like an artist, so your product is videos or pictures, then I think it's probably easier to enforce your copyright but if your product is software and code like if a proprietary corporation steals your gpl or or whatever like even like creative commons licensed code and they just all they have to do is list you in a hidden list you probably would get shown much yeah but even if they took it yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't know. And just yeah, you wouldn't know because their code is proprietary and it's hidden. <laughs> yeah, unless it got leaked, which happens um, sometimes. Let's move on to something else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's we are three people who have no idea about copyright discussing <laughs> copyright. Maybe not the best topic. Um actually I know some things about copyright. Yeah, but I mean that's not our major area of expertise i guess yeah me neither i only know enough about copyright to deal with youtube yeah as much as what about happy birthday (laughs) 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 that's a weird one it's public domain now right (laughs) yes it has been since 2017 oh 2017 that's good news i was not up to date with that all right so what other things are on your minds well there was a new release of kde a week ago. Oh, do you use KDE? Yeah, and it's still not in the stable repository for Manjaro yet, so I haven't got it yet. Mm. I use a ton of desktop environments. What's your favorite? GNOME or Windowmaker. Wow, Windowmaker, I've never heard of that one. I, I heard about it, but... It's kind of like next step. Well, that didn't clear up anything. I don't... <laughs> I didn't even hear about that one. So Window Maker, is it like a DE or is it a window manager? Window manager, so it's kind of like next step, I've heard. I have never heard of next step. Like the the computer company? Uh, yes, they did make next step. That they made the cube? The black cube? Yes. Ah. Yes. And the one that got acquired by Apple because they just wanted Steve Jobs back. Yeah. <laughs> also, they were considering by BOS, but BOS made sure to make the price high. Guess why? Because they think that they're the only ones that Apple could use. Hmm. But they got proven wrong in the end. I'm just... Wondering if Arch has the uh, new version of KDE yet. I'm sure it does. Doesn't it? What is the package name? It is Plasma Desktop. Oh, so it's just Plasma. All right. 
Plasma Desktop 5.21.1. Yeah, that's the new one. What do you think about Enlightenment? Uh, Enlightenment never tried it. What desktop environment do you use? I use Cinema. Ah, it looks kind of similar. But nice choice. Would definitely use Mate too. I found Mate ugly, but well, Cinnamon is also ugly if I don't theme it, so. <laughs> <laughs> Anything's ugly by default. Yeah, especially on Arch. Oh, oh my god, the default XFCE theme is horrible. <laughs> it's so terrible. And I've seen all these great, like, screenshots of XFCE, but you have to customize it so much just to make it not look like garbage. I also, I use some different themes sometimes. Um, and plus, I use a theme designer if I want to make custom themes, like Femex slash Umex theme designer. Oh. I just turn on dark mode. Yeah, dark mode. Are you a dark mode user in general? Yeah, I usually keep everything in dark mode, except DuckDuckGo. I actually don't really know why, but I don't really like it in dark mode. <laughs> I use Quant. That's the other, like, privacy search engine, right? Yes, they are made in France. Uh, where does Quant get its search results? Ah, all of this stuff is in French. <laughs> I'm trying to find where they... When I go to Quant.com, it usually takes me to the English version. Maybe the language is set right for you. I never heard of it before. Q-W-A-N-T. Mm. Yes. Oh, okay. It uses the Bing index as well as its own. So similar to the way DuckDuckGo works. But it also uses Bing ads. And it also doesn't want to compete with Google. What do they even mean by that? <laughs> they say, it says on Wikipedia that they prefer to show something different. And they've got a thing kind of like Firefox Pocket. Or what is Mozilla's relationship with Pocket anyway? Because it's like always I have no clue. on Firefox. I'm like, did they make it? They own Pocket. They do? Did they buy it? I'm not sure. So it says on the Mozilla website that it's made by them. And it's been integrated with Firefox for a long time. So um, I guess they made it. In 2017, they acquired Pocket. Huh. But it's been in Firefox before then. Hmm. I have no clue. I mean, I'm just trying to find Pocket in my Firefox right now, and I don't even know where to look. I have it hidden, so I don't know where it usually is. It's included the new tab in the address bar. Maybe maybe I turned it off. Is it possible to turn it off? I think you can. Oh, here it is. Mine is in the, like, the three dots in the URL bar. There's a button that says Save Page to Pocket. It says you can go to About Config and disable it in there. Maybe that's what I did. I'm going to do that right now. I didn't know you could do that. Browser.newtabpage.activity.stream.section.highlights.includepocket.false. So I guess that I turned it off. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are these kind of things that I just change some settings sometime, and then I just forget that it even existed. Yeah, that happens to me in Blender. They added this like little menu that they basically copied from Maya, and I never use it. And sometimes I accidentally press the hotkey for it, and I remember, oh, right, it's got this this thing. <laughs> so Blender, what annoys, I don't know, do they do it s still like that? I haven't used Blender for a few months, but 
like I have a setup, I have two monitors and I have a setup for video editing with two monitors, which I saved. And every time a new version comes in, I have to copy my default setting because they always make like a new setting folder in every oh. in each version. Usually when a new version comes out, for me there's a button on the flash on the splash screen that says load settings from the last version. And then oh, you can maybe I was ignoring that. <laughs> And you can press that button, and it'll put all your settings how they should be. Yeah, uh, I'm maybe maybe I was just I just haven't seen. I just remember that I got very frustrated. That, why isn't it following my template? <laughs> and then I I already forgot where my template was saved, so I had to find it. I hate that where your settings are stored is not consistent. Like I know it's worse on other operating systems, but it's still is it in a, a dot file in your home folder or is it going to be under dot local slash share you never know yeah and i don't understand why are they still using the dot files in your home directory that's just that's just super crowded yeah i don't know i mean on windows i really got used to just always showing hidden files but you cannot use it do that on linux yeah yeah <laughs> me too but on windows I was trying to find some settings for VS Code on my Windows partition, and it took me a long time to figure out where it was. It was not, it wasn't very easy. And then, apparently just copying the files over doesn't actually update the settings for some reason, and so I had to end up manually setting them anyway. (laughs) Oh my. Microsoft is the best. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> I mean, the w- Windows 10 is such a headache. Before I switched to Linux, I used Windows 10 on my home computer and I was kind of whatever. I was okay with it, but now I, I use Windows 10 at work. So that's what it, that's what's in, in the offices. And uh, because I'm not dealing with it like the, the kind of advanced things, I don't really need to deal with it. And yesterday I wanted to show one of my colleagues how to override the, the, uh, the MAC address of the network adapter uh, i know i i know how i did that a few times for several reasons on under windows and just windows 10 just finding the exact window like i don't know man if you just because in previous versions you could just right click on the like the tray icon for the network and just find it but now you have to specifically go to the control panel which is kind of hidden now Ugh. Um, Windows settings are such a mess. Yeah. I remember when I first started dual booting Linux, I wanted to make my Windows store the time zone on the motherboard or the time on the motherboard in UTC because that's what Linux does. And you have to like go in and edit the registry and stuff. And it's like a whole complicated process just to make it so that your time doesn't get messed up when you reboot. Yeah, I actually... Before switching to Linux, I read on, on this specific problem because it seemed to me like weird why are these two different standards and because I always use Windows and I was like, yeah, whatever, why don't we just use the local time on the motherboard? And then I read this really long article that brings up a lot of problems. What happens if you uh, store the local time on the motherboard and try to convert that to UTC, why is it wor- much worse than just storing it in UTC and converting it to the local time? And then I decided, okay, I don't want to do a boot. I'll just wipe Windows <laughs> totally. 
Fortunately, I still have to use Windows sometimes. It's terrible that we have to depend on such a terrible, really bad operating system. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, luckily at home, when I do my home stuff, I just do whatever I want. And when I have to do something, I do it on the office computer where just whatever software they want me to use is just there so yeah that seems reasonable but if, if you know if i was a student using linux <laughs> that would be a different story i guess i mean i manage but like we're we're we have to use zoom and luckily yeah. zoom does have official native linux support and they have a whole bunch of different package formats on their website which is really nice but it's kind of buggy. And it's like just the worst in every conceivable terms. I mean, they're they're not I'm not saying I like the the product even if it did work, just because <laughs> they kinda do some censorship stuff I saw on the news and then they're probably recording every meeting. My school moved entirely to Google Meet just because it's integrated with Google Classroom. Oh. We used to use both. Google, my other favorite company. <laughs> yeah, we hate them both. But at least they're a little more bearable than Zoom. <laughs> my school's kind of a mess when it comes to, like, homework resources and, like, where stuff is. Because we've got, like, a specific... They've got like a system set up where it's a school website that you can log into and all of your assignments are there and stuff. But some teachers use Google Classroom and some teachers use OneNote and some teachers just have you email them the stuff. It's a complete mess. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no one was prepared for, for this and it, it looks like just like that. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, I cannot imagine, like, if the same kind of situation happened, you know, like 20 years ago in 2001 when I was in, in school, like primary school, what the hell? <laughs> how the hell would, would they have dealt with a pandemic? Like, are you just, would they send you, like, big envelopes with stuff? I don't know. I guess. <laughs> Or maybe they just have to, like, cancel school for two years? Yeah. <laughs> Good thing it happened last year and not 20 years ago. Because yeah. it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, at least in most of, like, the developed countries, everyone has internet, so... Yeah. And so also, do you also take exams online? Yeah, it's kind of strange... I guess it's weird because they like they make a sign a thing that says we're not going to cheat but like they have no way of knowing unless they use Proctoria which is evil <laughs> but but otherwise they yeah. have no way of knowing if you're just looking everything up and it's very strange but you have to like keep your camera on during the exam right Usually, although sometimes it's like a take-home quiz, which is also, it's really bizarre. <laughs> Personally, I think that just because the way things are in general, like, there are a lot of things. So, at the university that I am working at, basically, they they just, yeah, they just make you take the exam with the cameras on. And uh, I heard, like, the professors are very much complaining a lot that, oh, how do we really test the knowledge of the students this way? But, I mean... It's like in the real world when you are working, you have the internet and you can look up things there too. And if you are not like, if you know how to search for things, that's almost as good if you know everything by heart. And sometimes even better because if you are working on the, like the cutting edge of things, then 
maybe your knowledge gets outdated in one or two years anyways. So. Yeah. Like, there are these memes where, like, programming is basically copying pasting from Stack Overflow. <laughs> but, like, other fields, I mean... I think it's true anywhere. It's just, it, it applies a lot to programming because stuff changes so much. Yeah. Like, I found out about the WebFetch API almost two years ago. I was very glad to dump jQuery, but, like, if I had just kept applying knowledge, I would never have found out about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, all right, of course, like, basic scientific principles don't change, but unless you are working in, like, a very narrow and specific field, it's kind of impossible to keep all the things you have to know in your head anyways. So... Yeah. About it becoming outdated. Um, a ton of apps went on the PHP 5 did that good up. Oh, cannot be used with PHP 7. Oh. So basically it's kind of like that. Who still uses PHP? Okay, if I type in PHP 5 <laughs> in DuckDuckGoGo or DuckDuckGo, what? Like the go, it will tell me that five Philippine pesos worth 114 South Korean ones. That's funny. <laughs> Mine says it's 10 cents. <laughs> yeah, PHP 5 came out in July 2004. So I guess I was using PHP 5 because when I was using PHP, that was in 2006 and 7. And then I gave up. And now PHP 8 is the newest one. It's a major version and has breaking changes from previous versions. Nice. Why do they still update it? I mean, I think Nextcloud is based on PHP, for example, or... Or WordPress. WordPress, yeah. Man. A ton of things are based off of PHP. However, PHP 5 had so many security flaws that Amazon had to move everything to Java. <laughs> oh god. Uh, Java. What's up with Java? I learned some Java programming at the university for a semester for some weird reason. I have never used Java before, and I don't want to. <laughs> Neither do I. So what's your favorite programming languages? If it's not Java. <laughs> I'm gonna have to say JavaScript. JavaScript is nice. It's easier than Java or even CoffeeScript. I've heard of CoffeeScript. Is that like a one of those JavaScript compiler thingies? Yes. It's like simple JavaScript. So so basically I've seen that they tried to make JavaScript easier. Hmm. Huh. So what do you like about JavaScript that much? That it's your favorite? There are so many programs that could execute it. Just browsers can execute it. Actually, my favorite is Python. It's easy to interpret. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Mm. Python is... I'm not as familiar with Python as I'd like to be, but every time I use it, it's just so nice because it's so easy. Yeah. And you can do anything with it with just a library. It has so many libraries. Like Hetto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or a simple HTTP server. Or even just, or even an IRC server made with it. There's so many possibilities. There's even some frameworks based on it, like Jano. Yeah. Python is a very versatile and useful language. Yeah, I first heard of Python, I think, either in high school or right after high school. And uh, 
So I was, I studied Pascal. When I was in high school, we learned programming in Pascal, which is a very old language. And <laughs> I learned a little C, but when I saw Python, I was like, what is up with the indentation? Why don't you just have some character to signify the start and end of blocks? I was like, this is stupid. So I didn't <laughs> use that. But yeah, I agree. I started, I picked up Python like maybe three years ago to do some personal projects, which I previously done in Microsoft Excel using Visual Basic scripts. Huh. And so I just, I learned about the Pandas library. That's a very nice kind of relational database substitute, I guess. And that's, that's what I use nowadays. And it's, yeah, I have to agree. It's really versatile, like so many libraries and very easy to get like used to it yeah actually i really like gd script i mean it's not that versatile because it's built into godot but it's yeah. it's really nice to write in because it's got python's simplicity but it's got a lot of functions that are more like javascript like oh i see it's also interesting because it'll support the string with a capital s function the way javascript does but it also supports str like python and they do the same thing Hmm. Mostly I just like declaring variables with var. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. That reminds me of my Pascal days. Python declaring variables without a keyword is so weird. That's the weirdest thing to me about Python. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's, that's, that's a little strange. Also, when you loop through an array or a list, I guess they call it, when you say I in list, I is not going to be a number. It's going to be that item. And that confused me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is really strange to me is like, this came up actually in the last Open Suspect PR that uh, when you have like, you know, like if you have just a very simple variable, maybe a number or a string, whatever, and you just uh, make another variable equal, to that so like a equals two and then b equals a yeah that's that's kind of we we can you know like these are just two variables that contain the same number but once i change one of them then maybe like i say b equals b plus one or something like that then then of course like b will be increased but a will stay the same yes but if you if you have like declare a as like an array array or a dictionary uh. <laughs> and then you may make b equals a then they will be this the variables will be pointing to the same dictionary so if you change something if you change an element inside the dictionary or in b then it will be changed in a too but if you style b like just to assign a different dictionary to it then of course this will be disconnected from each other it's and that can if you don't <laughs> If you are not careful thinking about this all the time, then some very weird things can happen. Yeah, that... Why? And that is the same in Python and uh, GDScript. It's, yeah, it's also that way in JavaScript. It's just... Why? <laughs> why? I'm sure there's a good reason. Yeah, I mean, I read, like, I, re I was learning Python from just the internet, but uh, one, once when I was, like, on a, going on a winter vacation, I just borrow the python book from the library just to read on the plane and that's where i really like came into grasp so that book described this in a way that i finally understood what the hell is going on like it's a very nice kind of visual representation yeah i have a python book that it also explains it but i forgot 
<laughs> I always forget. <laughs> yeah, especially it's especially weird when you start passing these arrays and dictionaries to other functions. That's when it's very easy to lose the plot that what is actually going on. Wait, if you pass it to a function, does it stay linked? I think yes. So Python does not have like uh, passing by by value. So it never it doesn't get copied. It's always passed by a link. Oh man. Which is also very confusing because as someone who learned programming in like C and C like languages, in, in there it's the opposite. So there you have to specifically declare if you are passing an argument as a what is it called like by reference and not by value. And here everything is basically passed as a reference. But when you have like numbers, then it's kind of weird because if like how I understand this is if like your variable is a number, then it is actually a reference to a constant. And if you change like the number using like a mathematical operation or something, that will just point the reference to another constant. So that's why like simple variables like numbers don't get linked this way. But when you are working with arrays and you modify what's inside the array that your variable is still pointing to the same array but now the array is different i don't know if it's like if i'm phrasing it's in a easy way to understand but kind of that's how i understand it i don't know you just learn to deal with it i guess yeah (laughs) also yeah so that's why I always, like, when there is something like this, I always go through in debugging mode and just every step I just take a look at the variables, what's going on. Yeah. Just cannot predict easily. Have it print every two lines. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the debugger in in Godot is really good. I really like that. Yeah, it does. I mean, occasionally there are errors that don't make sense, but usually, usually you get what's going on. Yeah, and like sometimes some variables don't appear in the variable list or like the what is that the examiner what is it called uh but i don't know either maybe i'm just maybe it's because like the scope of the variable is weird so if you declare a variable inside a, a, an if statement then that variable is only in the scope of that is if statement and once you're out of the if statement that variable is no more yeah so yeah that, that might be that somehow I miss sometimes what's in scope and what's not. But it's I, I don't always understand. But but yeah, I think I like like just going through like step by step each line and just looking at what's going on with the variables because there are some very weird things that otherwise I would never be able to guess the what's going wrong. <laughs> I think it'd be nice if Godot had like a console the way the browser does, but I don't know how you would make that work because each node has its own script, so it's kind of yeah but it would be useful if they could and it's always like a, a mystery like in what order will the scripts be executed so yeah especially in a project like open suspect we have so many different scripts like seven or eight autoload scripts and then whatever is in the current scene yeah and sometimes uh, <laughs> i just like go through like step by step and i'm just wondering where the hell are we coming from and where the hell are we going <laughs> We need to make like a flowchart of all of the scripts and their connections. I mean, it'd be really hard. Yeah, there's just so much. I, I did. I, I I did that for like the like joining and uh, starting the game for like to optimize the customization synchronizations. But so just by looking at the code. I was unable to do the flowchart, so I literally had to step through the, the debugger and see like what is the order of things because. 
there the order of things was very important to do it, have things in the right order so the variable when you need that is already there <laughs> it's been already synced yeah it's slightly confusing yeah all right i think like we will probably have about 45 or one hour, minutes or one hour worth of content out of this <laughs> yeah we better so maybe we've been talking yeah, so, so long yeah <laughs> well once you know we cut out the the silences and uh yeah and my random disconnects then it will be a little shorter but yeah but this will just certainly make a good a good first episode yeah so i guess let's say goodbye to our future listeners then <laughs> bye uh, <laughs> bye thank you for listening to the podcast and um yeah we'll and yeah if you have any topic suggestions then leave it somewhere where we will read it i guess oh no we forgot to mention the forum yeah subreddit comments we have the forum yeah we, orange told us we have a new forum told us to mention the yeah. forum and we completely forgot <laughs> yeah. go on the forum it's forum.opensuspect.com yeah and even though forums are maybe a little outdated now but we will bring them back to Yes. We will single-handedly revive the forum. Yes. Yeah, and also follow me on Mastodon. Follow me on Mastodon. I don't have a Mastodon, but subscribe to me on YouTube. You should make a Mastodon account. We need to take over the world with Mastodon. Okay, I'll I'll do it soon. And Pia too. Oh, yes. Yeah, and Friendica and all and the... library. Yeah, maybe that's what we should be... <laughs> We should talk about next episode about the decentralized... Okay, it'll just be like a giant list of decentralized stuff. Oh, and subscribe to the podcast. All right, then I guess this is the end of the episode. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.